I've often shared that um, I'm uh, number five of six kids. You could say in one sense uh, we were a family that was a lot like uh, the Brady Bunch. Uh, In one sense, um, we had um, uh, three boys and three girls, but that's where the similarity really ends with the Brady Bunch. We're not a blended family, and we certainly didn't have a housekeeper that lived with us. Uh, but uh, in my family growing up, and as we all, uh, you know, become adults and, and uh, have our own families and spread out, uh, there are these moments where there's a, a season or a reason for us to come together, whether it's collectively or just maybe even one-on-one. I'm in one of those seasons right now where I'm spending a little bit more time, uh, especially with my sisters. The reason for that is that uh, my mom, who is... Um, Uh, getting uh, older and uh, more frail and needing more attention and care. Uh, My dad passed away uh, almost 12 years ago now. And um, it's my sisters that I've been able to um, spend a little bit more time as we care for my mom because uh, my two brothers, are the distance has just made it really, really hard. My brother lives in England and in Florida. And so I'm, I'm hanging out with my sisters off and on, and, and uh, there is this ongoing discussion or conversation that they keep having with my mom. And it has, it has everything to do with um, which one of them is the favorite. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your family, uh, but uh, these, these girls, they're jockeying for position. They're trying to remind mom why uh, they're particularly mom's favorite, and, and it kind of, it's kind of humorous. Uh, it's, it's sad, really, to see them continue to have this conversation because we already know that I was the favorite, and I still am. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's this, this idea that... Um, Uh, We want to experience what it means uh, to be the favorite, Uh, to be uh, first, to to be known, the the one that that everybody likes, the one that everybody thinks of, the one that uh, there are some really good memories connected to. Uh, We all, uh, at times in our life, want to be the favorite. So it really shouldn't surprise us that you know who else wants to be the favorite? Check out the top 10 list that God gives us. It's in Exodus chapter 20. Um, And and as we go uh, to Exodus, I want us uh, to see these words that that God gives the nation of Israel. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. There it is. God says that he wants to be the favorite. God in heaven says that he wants to be first. In fact, he goes on to say uh, in the very next verse, he says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Take a look at this word, Jealous. I mean, anytime that we have ever heard the word jealous, it always comes tainted, doesn't it? Uh, This idea that that somebody has this emotion and there is uh, something that shows up. Uh, But we need to be reminded that, that jealousy is really not always a bad thing. And in fact, God 
point blank just goes out and he identifies. He said, hey, everybody, I want you to know something. I am a jealous God. You shall have no other gods before me. I want to be first. And when I'm not, uh, it's not going to go well with you. He makes that promise, not just in uh, the Ten Commandments, but throughout Scripture, this, the importance of what it means uh, to put God first. It's the Apostle Paul who tells us uh, in uh, the book of Ephesians that we are caught up in a spiritual war, a spiritual battle, that the, the enemy uh, comes at us, not in the form of one another or the world around us, but in the spiritual realm, uh, the, the forces that are at work that are behind all of the evil. And that is the battle that we need uh, to be aware of. And so this morning, really what I want to help us understand is that every one of us, we're caught up in a worship war. Now, some of you may be familiar with the, the term worship war or worship wars, and, and I'm not talking about like a particular style of music when you come into church. I'm not talking about the absence or the existence of natural light in an auditorium when you're time to, to worship. I'm not talking about that at all. Uh, as we move through this series that we were made to worship, we've got to have a better understanding of what worship is and to understand that there is a war that is taking place for your worship, for my worship, for what it is that is first in our heart. And so to help us understand this morning, I want to take you to a story that you may be familiar with. It's found in the book of Joshua. It's early on in the Old Testament. It happens to be one of my favorite books because it contains a ton of history. And it's, it's real easy to read uh, as opposed to you don't get stuck in a bunch of names or genealogies. But it, there is these events. In fact, Joshua would be a good subplot or a good material for like what you and I would want to watch on the big screen. I want to encourage you uh, to turn with me to the book of Joshua, whether you're using a hard copy like, uh, like the printed version that I'm holding in my hand, or perhaps uh, you're using uh, our app uh, or the U version or any other Bible app that might be on your Bible. I want to encourage you to open it up to Joshua chapter 24. Kind of to just set the stage, if you will, Joshua is Moses' successor. You may not be aware of who Joshua is, but I'm guessing there's a pretty good chance you know who Moses is. Uh, he's the guy that, you know, led everyone out of the uh, land of slavery uh, in Egypt. And so Joshua happened to be with Moses. He was in Egypt when Moses said, follow me. And as they crossed the Red Sea and, and as uh, they experienced the 40 years in the wilderness, Joshua happened to be there. In fact, he was Moses' aide during most of that time. And in this moment of, of uh, Moses uh, passing from this life to the next, he hands the baton of leadership to Joshua. And it's Joshua who le leads the nation of Israel uh, into the promised land. The very first act that he does is, is uh, he takes them and they cross uh, 
the Jordan River. It's really a nod back to when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. Uh, They cross the Jordan River. They capture or conquer the city of Jericho just by marching around it. Uh, And throughout the next several years, Joshua leads the Israelites to conquer all the other cities of the promised land, to establish all of this land and territory as their land. And so now Joshua is 110 years old, and he's about uh, to... uh, ascend into his eternal reward. And so what he does is he gathers the nation of Israel together and he gives them really what is probably his farewell address. He reminds them of all that God has done for them. He takes them back uh, to that time where they came out of Egypt. Most of them had only heard stories uh, or maybe some of them were very young when they came out of Egypt. They experienced God's work in incredible ways. And then Joshua does something, and he kind of gives them this charge. It says, last words that he charges them with. And I want you to see in Joshua chapter 24, we're going to see beginning in verse 14. Here's what he tells them. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away, throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, talking about way even before Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites, the land of the Egyptians and the territory around them, in whose land that you are now living, But as for me and my household, how many of you got this in your house somewhere, on a plaque somewhere, over the fireplace, something? But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Uh, Really, really fascinating. Maybe you haven't taken the time to see this. But as Joshua kind of just shares with those that are there assembled in front of him, he gives them one of three options. Basically, Joshua says, um, you're either going to serve uh, the God that your ancestors served or the God of the people whose land you're living in. You and I might use the word culture. Or you can serve the Lord. Oh, by the way, that's who I'm choosing to serve, Joshua says. What's interesting is that Joshua gives them three options. It's almost like an addendum to like that book that says, Would You Rather? How many of you have ever read to your grandkids or to your kid? Or maybe it's your favorite book, Would You Rather? Would you rather like either spend the day throwing up or spend the day with diarrhea? You choose. It's like you got two options, you know? Uh, But here's the situation is that, that basically Joshua gives them three options and it's winter. We're all dealing with rough life right now. Okay, we need a little chuckle, and that's what's going on in most of our weeks anyway. All right? Uh, but, but here's the deal, is that Joshua gives them a, a choice of one of three. And, and he doesn't give anybody this choice. You will serve no gods. The reason for that is simple. We all worship something. We all worship something. It's hardwired into us. An atheist might not believe in God, but they definitely 
worship something because every one of us does. Where the confusion might be is our understanding of what worship truly is. Worship is so much more than just music. What we're going to find out is that worship is our response to what we value. Worship is your response, it's my response to what's important in our life. Worship is, is really kind of how we spend our time, or more importantly, the way that we show our affection and the amount of time that we devote to something, uh, the uh, energy that we expend towards some aspect or thing or concern that's going on in our life. It's the money that we direct toward those things that we have deemed and choices that we have made that said, this is important to me, or I need this, or we must have this, or this is where I want to spend my money. It's all part of showing our affection, where we direct our money. It's even where our loyalty lies. Now, all of these are the outcomes of the priorities, those things that we have established deep down in us, that in our heart that says, this is important to me. Really, what I want us to understand is that who or what we worship is what we live for. And that determines everything about us. Who or what you worship is truly what you live for. And it determines your daily decisions. It determines the direction of your life. And so in his farewell address, I want us to see that as Joshua lays some of these gods out before us, I truly believe that every one of us will see how they could apply to us. He identifies these three options And the first one is simply the God of your ancestors. Now, when the Israelites come out of Egypt and as they take the promised land, of course, they have a heritage. They have ancestors. They come from a long line of a family tree. And it goes all the way back uh, to the early days, far even beyond Abraham. Uh, and, And the idea is that in that time, these ancestors, they had specific gods that they would worship, that they were perhaps following, uh, where they had basically staked their life. And the same goes for you and I, our families, our ancestors, our family tree, it influences perhaps the gods in our own life. Now, I understand we don't view them as gods. Uh, we understand that we've been influenced by our parents and our grandparents, and, and they've shaped many of our daily decisions, but we would never equate it to a God. For instance, you know, Dad worked a lot. In fact, Dad was committed to his family, and he would work two jobs. It was so important for Dad to provide for his family, he worked uh, endlessly, tirelessly, He was never home because dad was working. And so what happens is that influences your daily decisions and you think it's common, that it's natural for you to work and to work and to work and to say, I'm doing this to provide for my family. In fact, as you grew up, you saw that family was first. And so for you, family is first as well. In fact, though we may not want to 
admit it, our view of money and the way that we that our relationship with money has largely been formed by our ancestors, good or bad. If we grew up in poverty, uh, that, that effect has a, a drastic impact on the relationship that we have with money today. We can't escape it. Without even thinking about it, we inherit certain things from our ancestors, we just receive it. We were surrounded by it. In fact, social psychologists, uh, they d- identify this as we're all products of our environment. You've heard that before. You understand that. You recognize that. And you've never thought that those things were God's, but truly, those are the things that shape your life, and those are the things that you are living for, and those are the things that you're trying to accomplish. And so I'm not saying that any of these things are bad or evil. We need to work. We need to provide. We need to love our children and our family. And we need to care for those around us. All of that, uh, none of that is bad or evil. But if we're not careful, what happens is a good thing can become a God thing. A good thing, a good thing like our kids can become a God thing. I wonder how many times busy parents have said that their life is out of control or they're running ragged because they're continuing to provide all of the opportunities and all of the avenues and all of the things for their kids' benefit. They would never say that their kids have become their God, but they're living that way. And as we choose to recognize that, it, that God gives us so many good gifts, whether it is our children, whether it is our jobs and the financial blessings, our, our hobbies and our talents, the list could go on and on. But if we're not paying attention, we could elevate any of these gifts that God has given to us over him. And we lose track. That's why Paul describes in the book of Romans as he shares with those early believers in the city of Rome about um, uh, the way that they used to live. Right there in Romans chapter 1, he he starts out talking about their sinful lifestyle and the way that they were living in this culture that was all about uh, their own sinful desires And in fact, even though they were presented with the truth and even though that they were given the opportunity to see who God was and his son Jesus, and although that they were created in the image of God, just like Adam and Eve, we all chose to do our own thing. And so uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, an incredible verse. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. I want you to look at that verse. I want you to write it down. I want you to hold on to that because that is a reminder that it is the the giver that we should be elevating and not the gift. All of the things that God blesses us with sometimes can have a way that it clouds our thinking. We get 
off the path, if you will. And, and there is this moment where we begin to say that what God has given us becomes so important, even more important than the God who gave it to us. And so because of this, you can read it right there in Romans chapter 1, God gave them over to the desires of their own heart, and he let them reap what they sow. Same goes for you and me. You see, the reason we experience hardship in our life, the reason that we experience so much chasm from one to another is because we continue to reap what we sow. And we take our eyes off of the giver and we look more towards the gift. I've been challenged not just through uh, the 21 days of prayer, but, but recently, and I've been trying to encourage some people when, when this topic comes up, is that we want to make sure that we're praying to God, that we're recognizing it is him that we ascribe all glory and honor to, and that he is worthy to be praised no matter his response to us. He may not answer our prayer. That does not make him any less holy. It does not make him any less loving of his people. And too often, our relationship with God is not about God. It's about what God will do for us. And then when he doesn't do what we want, the relationship is broken. That's the same struggle that we have with one another in our earthly relationships. And we measure whether or not we give affection, not because of who they are, but because of what have you done for me lately. And so the reason God allows the hardship to take place is because, as some of you know, sometimes you need to hit rock rock bottom before you ever start to look up. And so the second God that Joshua mentions is the gods of your culture. That's where he talks about uh, the God of the Amorites or the, the land in whose uh, you're now living. Uh, Josh and, uh, Joshua, he's speaking to this nation of people who um, uh, were in a land that they did not pay attention to or, want, uh, or even uh, considered uh, themselves uh, to be like they should follow or they were even cared that he was the one true God. You see, early on, the Israelites lived in cities that they did not build. They ate from vineyards that they did not plant. They were truly foreigners in a land inhabited by other gods. Could we not say the same thing goes on today in the world you and I live? We live in a post-Christian culture that's inhabited by many other gods. There's the God of sex, and there's the God of money. There's the God of popularity, to be known, uh, to be uh, first, how many likes that we chase after. I mean, the God of social media has elevated meism to astronomical proportions. And as we live in this culture, uh, we recognize that there are other things that get elevated and become gods, things such as tolerance, Even the God of freedom becomes something that many people will give their lives for and chase after and believe that it is due them. 
and we lose sight uh, of who God truly is. The question we all got to ask ourselves is, are we worshiping or serving the gods of our culture? It's all around us. So we've got the God of our ancestors. We've got the God of our culture. And then really the last option, which is really the first option, is we've got the Lord God Most High. That is the one that our worship needs to be directed towards. Because we all worship something or someone, and we're all caught in a battle for our worship. And so maybe, real quick, I want to help you. You might be thinking to yourself, I'm not sure what God I'm serving. I'm going to give you a couple of questions that you could just answer to yourself or, more importantly, take these with you. Pray over these, consider them, have some conversations. But the first question is simply this. What makes you mad, disappointed, or critical? The question that you really need to dig into, it's not so much who or what it makes you mad, but really it's like, why is it so important that your expectation should be fulfilled by that person or by that thing? Why is your expectation uh, of what happens there? Because really what it will reveal to you is what's important to you in that moment. Dads, it's not your kids that you're mad at. What you're really mad at is that you believe that you're being disrespected, and respect is really what you're looking for. So dig a little bit when you think about what it is that's making me mad or disappointed or feeling a little bit critical of a specific situation. Second question might be, why do you sacrifice, or what is it that you sacrifice time and money for? It's been said numerous times, if you really want to find out what's important to us, all we've got to do is look at our calendar and our checkbook. I know in today's world, nobody has a checkbook uh, under the age of 40. Uh, But the reality is this, that wherever it is that we direct our finances to, wherever it is that we're investing, uh, is making sure that, um, in fact, our biggest investment could often become our most cherished idol. You're going to work so that you can pay your mortgage because that's important to you. And where you've extended yourself and what you do, you're getting out of bed in the morning to go do something that you wish that you didn't have to do. The question is, who are you serving? What is it that you're ascribing and giving your life to? Another question is, where do you turn when you're hurt and you need comfort? We all experience These times when we're hurt, where we need to be comforted, and the question is, where do we turn? Henry Blackaby identifies an idol as anything that we turn to for help instead of first turning to God. Whether we turn to food or sex or alcohol or a drug of our choice, whether we turn to a a relationship, whether we turn to uh, just isolation, Now, where is it that we turn when we're experiencing hurt and we need comfort? It may reveal to us perhaps what it is that we're chasing or what the God is, the thing that we live for and that we need at that moment. Another question, real quick, is what do you look forward to? 
What, what is it that, that we deem as like, we can't wait till we experience this or wait till we get there? What is it that we continue to chase? What is the carrot that has been placed out in front of you that you keep moving closer and closer to? Personally, I'm reminded that uh, maybe sunshine and warm weather at times could be a God in my life. That sounds silly and it sounds weird, but, but it affects my attitude and it affects what I think is important and where I find joy at times. God works on my heart in those times and in those moments. Last question that may be helpful is whose encouragement means the most to you? Is there someone's attention that you need in order to feel valued? Why is that so important? And again, a good thing can become a God thing. And so lean into those questions and and recognize something important. Joshua instructs in verse 23 of his speech, he's just about done, and he says, Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. I love it. It's, it's simple. It's, it's really kind of direct uh, for us to recognize what it means uh, to, to trust and to, to put the Lord first. I've got here uh, to just throw away. There are some There are some aspects in our life. There are some things that we live for that we would be better off if we rid ourselves of them, whether it is an addiction or whether it is an unhealthy relationship, something that needs to be removed, something that is a distraction from the Lord. But also, there are some things you cannot throw away. Throwing your children away is not an option. (laughs) Throwing your spouse away is not an option. But yield, yield your heart that God truly is the one who sits on the throne, that he is the one that you call your Lord and Savior. He is the one that you serve. He's the one that you follow. So I just want to challenge you uh, to recognize who are my gods? Because Joshua says something very, very cool when he says, back in the verse that we all got memorized or we've all heard, choose this day who you will serve. When he uses the word choose, it's, it's an ongoing verb. It's a verb that is not like just meant to like be a one-time decision. It is this constant action. That's why he says, choose this day. It's not as if like, okay, today choose who you're going to be your God is, and that's going to be easy for the rest of your life. It's an ongoing choice that we make every day, and I'm reminded every day, sometimes every hour, I need to choose who my God is. Choose this day who your God is. Is it the God of your ancestors? And you might have to do a deep dive and recognize that you've inherited some things that you need to work through. Perhaps you've been worshiping the God of culture that you live in. Choose this day who you will serve because it's the Lord your God that wants to be first. And when he's not, he doesn't like it. And he will give you over to the desires of your heart, and you will reap what you sow. 
And so choose this day who you will serve. Because we all worship something. The question is, who or what will you worship? The stakes couldn't be any higher. Pray with me. Lord God, we're so thankful that you love us, that you've called us your children. You've invited us to be in relationship with you. God, we've got this constant battle going on. You already know it. That uh, we're struggling with the gods that are uh, around us, maybe the gods that we've grown up with, the gods that uh, just continue to come in and out of our life. And, and honestly, Lord, uh, we're so thankful for the good things that you give to us. And Lord, I want to pray for those moments and those times and those reasons for why I've elevated good things to God things and I have put them higher and in place of you. Lord, forgive me. Forgive your people. Lord, we repent. We repent of that sin. And Lord, I pray that today we choose, we will serve you, that we will follow you, that we will honor you. Lord, thank you for being our God. May we truly be your people. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray all this. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship and just recognize that we've been invited to worship the one true living God.